0: We are Dr. Sarah Bone and Dr. Lisa Tartaglia. We are both actively practicing osteopathic physicians, dual-boarded in family medicine, and hospice and palliative medicine. You Only Die Once is a virtual place for sharing information
1: about serious illness, the end-of-life process, hospice, and palliative medicine with the patient, the family, and the practitioner. You Only Die Once, and we believe it can and should be a good death.
0: Today our topic is burden. Sometimes you don't realize the weight of the burden you've been carrying until you feel the weight of its release. That's a quote from unknown. So there's different types of uh, burden. And before
1: we get started with the different types, I just want to talk about symptom burden, which is a huge uh, component that we see a lot in hospice and palliative medicine. Symptom burden can be defined in many ways. It's the prevalence, the frequency and the severity of the symptoms that cause negative physical and emotion re- emotional responses in the patients. And it also
0: really affects their families. I think it affects everybody that's close to the patient. The patient is going through it, but the family has to witness it, has to watch mm-hmm. it, and they endure it as well. Yes. And I think sometimes that gets lost in um,
1: diseases. People just think, oh, look, I've got cancer. Let's treat the cancer, and they don't realize what is all involved in treating that disease. So there's physical burden, and pain is normally,
0: wouldn't you say, the number one? I think that's the number one thing we hear about, that they experience the pain, or the loved one sees their family member having Mm -hmm. that pain, and it changes the dynamics of the entire family.
1: Yeah, and uncontrolled pain can lead to really depressed states of patients. Um, Also the families are become at their wits end because the, you know, all their, patient is focused on is their pain and then I find when pain is not controlled well that that physical pain then there's an emotional responsiveness that like let's get this over with let's end my life now
0: I don't want to go through another day of it because they get tired the pain wears them down physically emotionally they don't sleep well and and they just feel like there's no end to this pain it's not being well managed yeah another physical burden is their loss of independence Right, people want to be able to do for themselves, many, you know, people have been active, they've had mm-hmm. employment, they've raised families, they've managed businesses, and to lose that independence, not only to be able to do those things, but then just to be able to deliver their own personal care right. is very difficult. And I find with
1: patients with their own personal care, you you take that for granted, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're healthy mm-hmm. and their, their loved ones take it for granted too. They don't mind. I'll oh, I'll help you wash your back. But I just remember taking care of my own loved ones, how disappointed they were in themselves when they soiled themselves, when they could no longer wash their back or they were so short of breath that they couldn't
0: take a shower and we had to do all their activities of daily living. I think it's very humbling. To have to have someone help care for you. Now, if it's a short period of time, you know, you've got an acute illness and you you need somebody to help you wash your face or, you know, shave or or take a bath, I think that, you know, people know that that's just because, you know, my knee has had an operation on it or I sprained my shoulder so I can't, you know, hardly put my own deodorant on. But to have that happen on a daily basis and to feel that um, I, I'm not going to be able to do these things now, and I don't know that I'm ever going to regain that ability. I think that's very humbling. Mm-hmm. And uh, fatigue is kind of falls in with the loss of independence, but
1: fatigue is another big complaint that we hear that causes a lot of physical uh, burden. You know, uh, the days and the nights get mixed up. Patients are sleeping throughout the day. They're up all night. Um, ruminating because they slept all day and they're not able to participate
0: in their normal activities. Yeah, they worry, it wakes them up at night. Mm-hmm. And some patients, I think, I see that they fear sleeping at night. They want to yes. sleep during the day when the sun is up and they feel reluctant to close their eyes and sleep at night because they're worried something bad is gonna happen at night while they have their eyes closed. So they become hypervigilant at night and they want to be awake at that time. And then during the day they feel like the lights are on, the sun is up, you know, I'm going to be more protected and I'm going to be more safe. And I'm, I'm you know, willing to just nap throughout the day, but I want to be awake at night. Yeah, so you bring up a really interesting point. A lot of times that um, switching of the
1: day, uh, daytime awake, wake, uh, sleeping and nighttime. Wakefulness. Wakefulness, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it brings up a really good point that that becomes a lot of frustration to family members because they want to sleep at night because they're yeah. up all day, you know, anticipating the needs of their loved one. Yeah. Or they have to work. Or they're working, yeah, that's really true. And um, they get really stressed by that. So it's really good to talk about these things as, as to why, what's the why behind why the patients doing this some diseases create a breathlessness which is you know not being able to catch your breath also creates a fatigue and an inability to do your normal activities and then also there's a loss of uh, they feel it as if they're losing their mind right they can't keep track of the days and yeah. the nights and uh, that creates a, a huge
0: physical burden on the patient the little details mm-hmm. oh that's right or this bill is due or you know they the little things that they used to just take for granted you know, going someplace or a household chore that now they're struggling to remember the sequence of events. Right. And that's embarrassing and upsetting. Yes, yes.
1: And then it to lead into like psychosocial burden. Um, there's a there's a four letter word involved with a that. A dirty
0: four letter F word
1: if mm-hmm. I remember, yes. yeah. And that F word is fear. Yeah. It's the fear of the unknown. It's the fear of what what is my illness gonna look like at the end? Am I going to
0: suffer? Am I going to be in pain? What does suffering mean to you? What does suffering mean to me? It may not mean, suffering may not mean the same thing to you that suffering would mean to me. I think, you know, it's like it's in the eye of of the individual. Right,
1: right. And of course, there's a family component of that suffering. It may look differently for the family versus what the patient is going. um. Also, there's a fear of leaving the loved ones behind. What is that going to look like when they're no longer there? Um, and then, you know, the big, big medical term, anticipatory grief, like we're we're anticipating the grief
0: that will present. The change in- that's gonna occur is gonna affect the entire family. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the patient is anticipating their own end of life, and then the family member is anticipating the change in the family dynamics, and how am I gonna go on without this person? So caregiver burden is another form of burden and that's the individual caring for the patient they have their own burdens patients worry about the toll that their disease is taking on the family you know i i know that my My loved ones are cutting down at work, so it's affecting them financially. I know that they have to come over to my house to help me, and I feel bad about that because they're driving in the traffic to come over here at the beginning of the day or the end of the day, Mm -hmm. or both beginning end of the day. They're calling me during the day, and I worry about the burden that I've placed on them.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really important to acknowledge all of these things. I think that when we don't acknowledge it, um, and we let the patient just sit there very sad and not speaking to their loved ones. It allows, uh, the loved ones then to express, um, you know, why they're doing this for mom or dad or their husband or God forbid their child, you know, um, also it gives time for feelings to be expressed so then you can kind of understand the caring
0: behind when someone is sick. There's a lot of So caring. they can communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that needs to be guided communication. Yes. And I think the palliative team, the hospice team that is with the family can help address those things. And sometimes somebody needs to have that moderator, if you will, to help direct that and help the families talk about some of these things that may be taboo otherwise. Even though it's, you know, the 500 pound gorilla sitting in the corner. Exactly. They're fearful to to bring it up and to talk about it. So it's nice to have a non-biased person in the room to help them. And I think that's one of the things that can help reduce the burden. so what we want to do is we want to talk about ways you can reduce burden how we can cope what we can do to alleviate some of that heavy load that's on these people because you know it's that whole weight of the burden Mm -hmm. and if we can reduce some of that weight of the burden people feel the sense of release trust is one of the ways that we can help reduce that burden and i think building the trust between the the patient the family and the the set of providers, the physicians, Mm -hmm. the nurses, the aides, I think building that level of trust so that, you're not going to talk about bad things every time, but they they need to know it's an open door Mm -hmm. and it's an open line of communication. Coping is
1: another way to help create a balance of burdens. Okay. Um, And, you know, there's different coping mechanisms that patients uh, and family members use and You know, sometimes it's really important uh, for us, we work in palliative medicine, so we work with the team. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of nice that we have psychosocial support, um, which can be viewed as like counselors or therapists just sitting and speaking with the patient to kind of allow them to express their emotions and what they're feeling and to meet them where they're at. Um, also, there's uh, a religious you know, for the religious folks, and it doesn't have to be religiosity. It can be more spiritual. There's always a spiritual
0: counselor that's involved with right, palliative medicine. Right. Palliative medicine is a team approach, and I think it helps patients and families know that part of their coping is to be able to rely on the team, and so the the patient is the center of that team you know if you're a football player or football fan maybe the the quarterback and everybody supports that particular person on that team, and we're not gonna abandon them, we're gonna mm-hmm. be with mm-hmm. them, but I don't do it all myself, Dr. T doesn't doesn't, no. doesn't do everything herself, so we have other team players that also help fill in and do their specialty type work, so the patient knows they have that support, and the family knows that they're not gonna be abandoned, and that's how they help cope with the burden of their illness. A
1: lot of times families steer away from people as they get sicker, um, and they don't really want to interrupt them or disrupt them. But really, in, in reality, a family can provide a really good distraction to not have them be focused on their disease by not going
0: to visit. It's almost like they feel less than and They feel avoided, avoided. You know, avoided. they don't come and see mm-hmm. me, and they don't want to talk about these things, and it's become taboo, or they don't want to see me now, I'm embarrassed because I look bad or I smell bad, uh, they, uh, that's another form of the burden that they they have. Yeah, and I think it's really important um, to allow patients to
1: connect with family and over and review their life, you know, accomplishments. And it could just be, you know, something silly that you've done with a loved one. You don't have to go to visit and speak of the illness. You can speak about other things to kind of distract them.
0: I think reminiscing about things that we've done in the past and this was really fun. Things that you've gone through I think that's a good way to spend time and to share with one another but I think mm-hmm. it's important you know even if you just call them and say gosh I really want to get over there and see you but you know traffic's been bad and the kids are getting back to school and there's a new project at work so let's talk a little bit on the phone I've got some mm-hmm. time right now does this work for you for us to talk a little bit on the phone or do you have your iPad maybe we can FaceTime a little yeah, bit yeah that's wonderful Yeah, I mean, now with
1: FaceTime, you can, um, in my geriatric population that I see, I do a lot of uh, telephonic visits via video chat.
0: And the nice thing about the the FaceTime is it is live, and so you can interact Mm -hmm. with one another. But I'll tell you, uh, there's a new app. Well, it's probably not new, but it's new to me, Uh, the Marco Polo app. And if they've got a phone where they can Marco Polo someone, that's really nice because you might be, you know, wanting to connect with your family member who is home and not feeling well, but you're on your you're on your way to work and it's eight o'clock and you're just walking into work and mm-hmm. you got three three minutes or two minutes that you can just send them, Hey, it's Tuesday, I've got to be in the building at eight o'clock and it's you know, seven fifty-five I gotta run, but I just wanted you to know I was thinking about you and I love you and you're important to me, and, and that's it. The clip is over, but yes. they got to see your face. Then when they wake up, they may not wake up till ten or eleven o'clock that day. They wake up and that that greeting is there for them on their phone, exactly. and they get to see that. They may not answer it until you know eleven o'clock mm-hmm. that day, and they can just send you back a, a message: "Hey, I got your I got your your Marco, and it really was important to me. Thanks for thinking of me." Right. And then they can go back and replay it too when they're having a bad moment. Yeah, and and so there are ways, you know. FaceTime is great if your, your, your times coincide, mm-hmm. but I know for a lot of my patient population, that's difficult because they may not be in the same time zone. Right. We've, here in Florida, we have a lot of you know, patients, people that have moved down here and retired, and their kids are literally scattered from coast to coast. Their family members are in different time zones, their dear friends are in different time zones, and so sometimes FaceTime is not always that easy. Yeah. But but keeping that line of communication in person is best, FaceTime is is good, you know, some other form of, you know, verbal and visual interaction I think is really supportive for those people and reduces their burden. That's so true. I, I couldn't agree more. Other things that can help is is
1: it's hope versus denial. You know, sometimes patients feel like they've got this serious illness or terminal illness and all of that goes away, like their hope is gone, you know? But as, as uh, physicians, I try to help patients redefine their hope. Um, I try to let them tell me what their hopes and wishes are. And you know, sometimes it might be something simple, like they wanna go to a wedding or attend, you know, be alive long enough to watch their um, grandson graduate, high school, college, um, or, you know, I had a patient last week tell me he wants to be able to mow his lawn again. He feels worthless at 93 because he's not able to mow his lawn anymore. Um, So,
0: you don't judge their hopes, you try to help them redefine them. Find their hopes. The hope talk I like to give to people is hope is living, it's a, it takes on its own life. Hope needs to always be there, but hope it's natural for hope to change. I know that people are hoping for a cure, I know that they're hoping that my kidney function will improve, my you know, liver's going to regenerate, that I can get on a transplant list. Whatever that hope is, that's fine but we also need to allow hope to change and allow the family members to understand that the patient is in charge of their own hope. Right. And and we can't demand that they hope for the same things. That so we have to allow them. That maybe today their hope is for a bowel movement. You know, mm-hmm. maybe their their hope today is they can make it through the day and and they don't have to turn the oxygen up. The supplemental oxygen at, mm-hmm. at the current setting is enough. So we we need to allow hope to change. But we should always have some hope. I think hope needs to be there. Right. Right. And you know, a lot of people uh, get.
1: As healthcare professionals get annoyed with the sense of denial that patients have in their mm-hmm. disease illness, but I think denial is also a good coping mechanism mm-hmm. um, because it helps it helps them you know uh, re- not be in total acceptance of their illness and allow them to have just a little bit of.
0: Um, How do I say it? Like a break in the monotony of the illness, if nothing else. So, you know, I took a little story time for a minute. I took care of a patient and they would come into my office and usually during their office visit, at the beginning of the visit, they would always want to tell me, you know, I I needed my pain medicine a couple more times on the PRN, on the, Mm -hmm. on the, extra dose, and I didn't sleep as well a couple of days, and my weight is down, my appetite has been worse. And then at the end of the visit, when I would talk to them, what are you hoping for? I'd say, I got my gurney seed catalog, and I can hardly wait for (laughs) the things that I'm going to, you know, plant in my garden this next season. And I'm not going to, you know, put my hand on my hip and say, now don't you remember I told you that I think your life expectancy is limited? You're probably not going to be around for Mm -hmm. that that garden. I'm not going to do that 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 dashes that hope and I want them to have that hope and I'd say you know really so tell me what are you gonna put in your garden and what are the things that you're gonna plant I want them to have that hope yes it may not be achievable they already told me that they know they -hmm. already went through those things I'm not gonna you know bring it up and dash those hopes I want them to have those hopes so I was always so encouraged that that patient had had the different hopes that they would list out
1: And I just think it's really important as healthcare providers that we do not judge them and also try to explain to the family why they have these hopes or denials that
0: they're expressing. Don't point out you're in denial, that's not what's gonna happen. I think sometimes they know, and if I am suspicious a person really is in denial, then I wanna sit down with them and I wanna look at them and I wanna tell them, I understand that you know that you have serious illness, but this 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 one time, eye to eye, heart to heart, I wanna talk with you about your illness. And if they say, stop right there, or I understand, mm-hmm. or I know, then I know that there's no denial there, and I'm not gonna bring it up again, and I'll even tell them, I don't wanna be, you know, Dr. Doom, mm-hmm. I don't yes. wanna talk about bad things every time. So I know you know, I don't plan on bringing it up again unless you do, you can bring it up any time you want to. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to bring it up every time. That's so true. So the bottom line
1: is it's so important to have open con- communication with our patients and their and their loved ones and create that trust and the bond uh, with one another throughout their process and know that the pro- every process is unique. So patients change moment by moment, day to day, and we have to accept it and 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 just come to them with
0: non-judgmental and try right. to work with right. them. So in summary, we we've kind of gone through some of the different kinds of burdens that there are. Mm-hmm. We've talked about uh, the the burden to the patient, the burden to the family and loved ones, the burden on the physician and the healthcare team. We've talked about different coping mechanisms, uh, denial and hope. We've gone through several different aspects of burden, and this is certainly not an exhaustive list, Mm-mm. so we do welcome your comments to put them in below if we've missed something, but we certainly plan to um delve deeply into these individually at some point in time. but this has just been a nice overview of different burdens, yeah, and we really would like to hear from you if any of you have cared for loved ones
1: or you yourself have an illness that has prevented you or caused a burden, please let us know because then that will help us focus. Because I think really what we wanted to bring to you is information can provide not only power, Mm -hmm. um, but it also allows people to have a sense of normalcy and acceptance of their their illness if they know what's gonna happen early on in their disease process before it has occurred. Because oftentimes we
0: see these patients in the last hours to days Mm -hmm. and it's a big burden. Thank you for listening today. You can also find us on YouTube, channel name You Only Die Once. If you have any specific questions you would like us to
1: address, please feel free to send us an email at youonlydieoncedos at gmail.com. That's youonlydieoncedos
0: at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you again soon.